and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Tasha Robinson. And Minute 98 begins with Hudson declaring that the aliens are inside the perimeter and ends with Hudson saying, 18. 18. Mysterious number. I guess it'll probably have some meaning once we get to that part of the, of the minute. But uh, yeah, Tasha Robinson back again for day three. Uh, Tasha Robinson, the co-host of the Next Picture Show podcast, the film and TV editor at The Verge. Um, yeah, thanks for coming back again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you welded the doors shut, so I can't actually leave uh, unless I find a way out through the med bay. Yeah, I, I put up some barricades, too, out in the hallway. So even if you get through the door, you're, uh, you're going to have a little bit more trouble getting away. So might as well just sit down and do a podcast with me, and, and we'll all be fine. We'll all be fine. Well, I think the big question here is whether you activated the sentry guns or you're leaving that for the director's cut of this podcast. Uh, the sentry guns are out of ammo already unfortunately <laughs> but hi it's brian bishop from the bridge <laughs> hi brian thanks for coming back this will be your uh this will be your last day of the week huh it will be it will be this has been uh this has been fun but now we have a really fun minute to get to next so this is gonna be a good time yeah so let's just get down to it all right um so we're right in the middle of our what i what i called our soldiers in the woods scene we're out in the hallway uh bishop or sorry <laughs> made you laugh to hear your own name <laughs> sorry uh hudson hudson our friend is out in the hallway um he's getting readings on his tracker and vasquez as we uh as we established at the end of the last minute we, we talked about it in the synopsis but not in the actual minute uh vasquez is not getting uh any reading on her tracker and she's insisting that he's getting her on her tr- on his tracker right so we did have that moment we didn't discuss in the last minute where she's saying, uh, you're just getting me. And he says, it ain't her. And now it leaves me wondering, okay, what is it about Vasquez's tracker that's not getting a reading here? Is this just convenient writing? <laughs> or uh, does this make some kind of sense? It's actually occurring to me in this moment that that's kind of weird. I mean, they're all coming from one direction, I think. And it's right. not the direction of her corridor. Yeah, I just if it, when you look at the tracker, it seems to have uh, like the whole perimeter covered, and they're coming from all kinds of directions. So I, I guess you're probably right. It's probably one of those things I should have just not mentioned, but uh, it kind of occurred to me like, wait a minute, they were like only about ten feet apart here. <laughs> it seems like she would get in some kind of reading. But what we're getting here, what we kind of in, uh, hinted at in the last minute, is that there's a different thing going on with the scene than you would expect from a horror movie scene where you you split up a couple of characters right tasha you mentioned that uh in the last minute that we would expect something to jump out and get one of them but instead this is actually a character moment and um it's it's a subtle one but it it does a lot to instill a sense of dread in us and and that in that moment as i read it is we've got panicky hudson he's getting all the readings uh we see the readings we're with Vasquez being calm and cool, she's doubting them. So for a minute, maybe we are too. We're saying, yeah, what is this? What's, what's going on here? Who knows if this is an accurate thing? This guy's panicky. But then we get her stepping into the frame, into this close-up, and saying he might be right. And when we get calm, cool Vasquez saying he might be right, that's when that sense of dread hits us. Do you guys read the scene in a similar way? Definitely. I mean, I think that's the, that's the, the great tension about that moment is that they're at com- two completely different ends of the spectrum. So when Vasquez actually gets worried, that's when you know everything is real. Um, and that's, I think, when the entire scene starts kicking up to another notch, right? Because that's like we have to pull people back. They realize something is really, really wrong here. Um, and uh, 
and I have to say, I'm still now thinking about the moment you talked about with the tracker. I had never thought about that either. And now I think I'm never going to not think about it. <laughs> it's actually a really interesting question. You're um, welcome. <laughs> I, I'm always glad. I, I wonder how many times we've ruined some moment of alien or aliens for somebody out there <laughs> by doing this show. It's like, be warned, the show might ruin your reading on a lot of parts of these movies. <laughs> I think uh, an interesting thing here is I'm just I'm looking at the script again. And according to the script, there's a moment where Hicks says it's game time, which I if that's in there, it's low enough that I, I've missed it. Oh, it's in there a couple times. He says that uh, as soon as they get all the readings, as soon as basically as soon as he hears Vasquez validate the readings, that's when he uh, uh, realizes that it must be a real threat. And he turns to Ripley and says, it's game time. And that's actually... I definitely missed that. But that matches up very in a very interesting way with, you know, that Hicks famous line, game over, man, game over. Well, we're starting a different game. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. And, you know, it's it's a Cameron-y thing, game time, you know, like sports metaphors and things like that. You know, that's kind of a Cameron-y thing. It's definitely an 80s action movie thing. So we cringe at it a little bit now. But you're right, it is a good moment. I think it's good to to, uh, have a guy, our leader... Now, I mean, obviously, Ripley's really the leader, but we have our military guy that's in charge tell us that the the game has changed. And I think that that's, yeah, solid. That's a solid moment for for the dynamic of all these characters. And I really love what happens next when they pull those people back, right? And you kind of see Cameron. There's a lot going on in these, like, last three minutes we've been talking about. But then you have, like, these dual ticking clocks set up where we have the, you know, the signal from the tracker coming and it's getting closer and closer and the pitch is getting higher and higher and higher. Then you also have Vasquez trying to weld the door shut. And there's this there's this race. Is she going to finish before, uh, you know, they can kind of, like, you know, before the aliens come upon them? And, again, it's it happens so quickly and it's so kind of, like, easy it's easy to forget like what is doing, you know, on a, on a structural level here, but it's, it's great. Like it takes what was already an, uh, an intense scene from before and ratchets it up this, like that extra step higher. And it's, you know, I, you hate using the term, like people are on the edge of their seat, but this is literally a moment where you watch this and you do have that feeling. You are on the edge of your seat. You don't know what's going to happen, but you know, it's going to be bad. Uh, and it's just kind of like, I love the way like both of those things are combined and intertwined just to like get the audience up in your gut and just never let go. And I love the fact that the the door getting welded shut is kind of a fake out. You know, there's a bunch of stuff here that's set up as, okay, are the barricades okay? Oh, they're fine. Okay, are we going to manage to weld the doors in time? Yeah, we are, but it's not going to matter. Uh, okay, do we we have them on tracking? We know where the walls are. The walls are going to keep them out. No, that doesn't matter. It's just, it's a very boom, 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 boom uh, sequence of action where everything that we think is important in this scene turns out to not be important. And I think it's just, it's a great series of setups for the big surprise. To add to that, um, it's even, you could even say it's their undoing in a way because they're spending this time doing these things when there's a fallback position that we find out might've been the better idea in the first place. Like perhaps they should have just gone, okay, the barricades are fine out there. The aliens weren't out in the hallway. So at least the barricades will stop them. Let's fall back to med bay which is our fallback position just to be safe here because right now the proximity is a little bit disconcerting, right? Like we're getting these readings, they're getting close to us. Maybe we ought to get farther from them, but they spend all this time barricading themselves and and welding the doors and standing there wondering where they could be coming from that it kind of is their undoing, right? 
I'm not entirely sure why they don't fall back to the fall pack position right away. Like maybe the sprinklers are still going and nobody's in the mood for another shower. I, it just, it, that part of it, the strategy here is unclear to me. Yeah, that's what I'm, yeah, that's what I think. I think it's a little bit of tactic. It's a little bit of a tactical error, but at the same time, you could understand the instinct of them wanting to weld that door shut first real quick. Like maybe everybody else should have fallen back. You know, but I could see, okay, well, we want to at least give ourselves as many minutes as we can of delay. So if they're going to come through the barricades in the hallway, let's make sure they have to work their way through this door too. And then we'll weld the door shut. I mean, there's multiple doors they could weld shut in between. We know of one at least that uh, someone's going to go through soon. So keep doing that. At least uh, one person can stay behind and and, uh, give some precious minutes to the rest of them as they fall back. But you're right. I felt the same way when I was watching the scene. I was like, wait a minute. Why are they just standing there? Why aren't they falling back? They have a fallback position, clearly. Uh, Why don't they just take that? But, you know, we wouldn't get the scene if, if, (laughs) if that would have done that. So I don't know. Yeah. And building upon that further, it is odd that nobody thinks of, what's beneath the floor or what's above the ceiling, especially because in alien, they were dealing with the ship that was, you know, in all three axes. Uh, and I guess that speaks to what you're talking about before Tasha, where the, the filmmaking, the storytelling goes out of the way to, so the point where we as an audience never ask those questions. Uh, cause it actually should be a totally logical question the entire time, both, you know, could it be above or below, but also, you know, why don't we go back between these doors? There are all these, these moments that, you know, I mean, they're movie moments, right? It's ultimately, it's not necessarily about an internal logic with the world. It's about, you know, it's about what can have a, what can be a fun moment, what can be a fun scene, even if it's not completely inherently, you know, watertight logically. I mean, I think it all just comes back to, to Wrath of Khan and the difficulty that people have thinking 3D spatially. You know, it, if you can defeat the supermensch, uh, the ubermensch by thinking in a 3D fashion, clearly you can... Clearly, you can defeat a bunch of uh, space grunts by thinking in a three-dimensional capacity. Well, we do get... uh, I know it's not one of your minutes, Brian, but tomorrow, Ripley will ask that question about beneath the floor. She... It's a note for tomorrow uh, and another guest, but that she does say, is it something under the floor, something we didn't think of? And, uh, you know, we'll talk about it more, but she uh, somehow completely, (laughs) for quite a while fails to think about above the ceiling. You know, she talks about everything but for a little while. But she does ask that question, but you're, you know, you're right, why didn't they, uh, I don't know, why didn't they think of that earlier? Like, why, I don't know. But it's a good point. Right, because they have had plans of the of the layout of the facility. It's not like it is a unknown environment. Yeah. No, and, the ce- and you would think the ceiling would be something, like if there's a way into the ceiling, you would know, right? You'd have to know. Well, especially I don't know. since the ceiling is just a grid, you know, like so much of the, the alien slash aliens world, everything is just made out of grids. It's not like it's one of those, uh, you know, particle board drop ceilings where it looks opaque. Like it's, it's right. all just like metal mesh. You can look up and see the aliens like waving down, waving down at you like, hey, dudes. Yeah, you would think you could fortify if you're going to fortify yourself in a room, you somehow just like, I don't know how you would do it. What would you do to fortify the ceiling, like to make sure nothing could crawl, drop down on you or uh, that that might be a tough one, but you would think of it. You would at least think of it. I don't know. Yeah. The drop right. ceiling comparison is really, is actually really good. Cause I guess you would take the sections down and then weld plates in front of there, but there's no easy way to go about that. I, 
I mean, there's a lot of second guessing of people's behavior that goes on in horror films. And in part, that's because writers and directors so often cheat by having people do really, really stupid things so that the audience will say, ah, why are you doing that? Why are you going off alone? Why are you, why did you leave your weapon behind or whatever? But I don't, I mean, as much as we're kind of like mocking these guys, oh God, guys, the ceiling. I, I mean, I sympathize with them here. They're, they're dealing with a lot of stuff and they're dealing with aliens that keep showing new abilities uh, up to and including in this case, not only the ability to think better than, uh, than Khan, but the ability to uh, cut the power, the ability to deal with technology. So, I mean, when I first saw this movie, I definitely did not see the ceiling thing coming. And uh, it was it was a really great surprise, uh, to be honest. So uh, it's it's easy with the hindsight of we've seen this movie so many times to be like, oh, well, why didn't they think of this? But I mean, I wouldn't have. I would have been curled up next to Newt going, you, you guys are going to protect me too, right? Yeah. And I was bringing it up actually more just to point out the, the things that I think Cameron did along the way to keep the audience from thinking about those things. All these subtle misdirections and sleights of hand that make sure you never ask that question so that surprise is intact. Because uh, it totally plays. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I agree. It, uh, from a filmmaking standpoint and from a film viewer's uh, standpoint, it's all great. I'm just thinking about how they had schematics sitting on the table earlier. And, you know, I'm just thinking about in the world of the movie, how did they not see whatever entryway brought these aliens into the ceiling? Or how did they not notice that? But I don't want that. I don't want that in the movie. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just, again, here we are in movie movies by minute podcast world where we have to, we have to talk about these things. Uh, it's not a problem for me. As a matter of fact, God, I would hate it if there was, if they would have, outthunk themselves so to speak and and not written this in like had james cameron gone like oh it doesn't make any sense why wouldn't they think about the ceiling let's come up with something else well i love this scene i would this moment when these aliens came through the ceiling like jumped me right off the couch when i first saw this movie so uh no i love the scene i'm just nitpicking it because it's my job yeah and there's also <laughs> something really satisfying about it because oh i'm sorry tasha go ahead no i was just laughing Oh. Um, one thing I really like about it, why I think it that the the you know the ceiling scare is so freaky, is it's incredibly relatable, right? Everybody knows what it's like to put their head up in an attic. Everybody knows like to have oh, some yeah. sort of weird thing that. Like you don't see aliens, but you see bugs and other weird shit that you do not want to see. So it's like, oh, I get that moment, but this is much, much, much worse. Yeah, some of our listeners out there will know because of my um, appearances on the Indiana Jones Minute podcast and uh, uh, my involvement in there. Facebook page that I am terrified of bats. I, it's my least favorite animal in the world. I never want to see one ever in any way, dead or alive. And as a child, that was what I thought was going on above the ceiling a lot. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like paneled ceilings, I think like there's room up there. What are there bats up there? There was a, we had a shower. I, I grew up out in the country and we had this basement shower that had a little hole Um in the side where the, where the, I don't even know what was wrong with it, but in the shower, there was this little hole that was busted out that went into the back of the wall. And I was constantly, oh, I take a shower. I was constantly peeking over at it when I was a kid thinking, are there bats are just going to fly out of that thing? Aren't they? And so I get what you mean. This is my little, I, uh, this is my little psychiatric hour, my uh, phobia hour here on alien minute where I describe my phobias to everyone and uh, purge that out of my system. But anyway, yeah, I, I understand what, exactly what you're saying. Monsters above the ceiling, in the attic, uh, inside the walls. That's definitely something I think deep down a lot of us can relate to. 
John, you may want to cover your ears for this, but uh, I think fruit bats are, are the neatest thing. I love watching them move. I love watching uh. them interact. And there's like there's a really great uh, exhibit here in Chicago at Brookfield Zoo where you can go into the room where the, the fruit bats are and they fly right over your head. Uh, and the way they move, like they've got these big hooks on the end of their wings and they actually do crawl around a lot like the aliens in the ceiling in a, in a minute that's coming up. So I can see the idea of you poking your head up into your attic and then just seeing all of these fruit bats crawling toward you. That said, I learn a lot about my coworkers by bringing them on this podcast. And today I found out that Brian considers it totally relatable to be under assault by a bunch of aliens crawling through the ceiling. <laughs> You're getting way too into this immersive entertainment thing, Brian. Look, no, there's, there, I am into like strange creatures that we don't understand behind the, on the ceiling. I didn't know that you actually tortured people, though, on podcasts by going step by step through bat walkthroughs because that freaked me out. So I can only imagine how John is feeling right now. Tasha. Bat walkthroughs. I love it. Hooks on the end of the wings? That just made me cringe into oblivion. Oh, that's so gross. But I, I will say this. there's, you know, Of course, there's this onslaught that I think meant just to torture. There's a mass conspiracy just to torture me. There's an onslaught of, oh, they're so cute bat videos that are on you know Twitter and so on. I will say, as long as it's wrapped up and only its face is sticking out from like a towel or something, I'll admit that fruit bats are cute and all that stuff. But as soon as those wings and the rest of it comes out, it's just the most appalling thing in the world to me so anyway that's enough that's enough about bats and my uh oh, i forget on. what the, I, I used to know what the phobia was called and i've totally forgotten what bat phobia is called it's got a name but anyway i think this uh is just a sign that yeah you know because the, the best the best way to deal with a phobia is immersion therapy so clearly everybody needs to send their burrito bat videos to to john right now well, I mean, remember that Bruce Wayne got over it, you know, by going down to the Batcave and Batman Begins and just letting bats wash over him, right? So I, I guess I just need to do something like that at some point. Well, you, need to, you sure as hell need to do it if you're going to become a bat-themed vigilante at some point. Well, I do want my uh, the enemies to, to feel my dread, so I might have to do that sometime. Criminals are a superstitious, cowardly lot, so. You're right about that. Um. Anyway, Alfred, do you have anything? I mean, uh, Brian, do you have anything to say about this? <laughs> no, Mr. Wayne, I don't. <laughs> you know who else is a superstitious, cowardly lot is Burke. And uh, I kind of love in this scene that you, you catch just a glimpse of him standing there with his arms folded and his back against the, the pylon thing that uh, he was thrown against. Just like looking on all of this, like... Okay, what are you going to do about the aliens so we don't get killed so we can get back to you shooting me? Like, he just, he looks so jaded in this scene, and I love it. So I really only have one more note about this minute, and it's it's a simple, like, setup and, and kind of ch changes our perspective on something. So we've had all this business about, out in the corridor, we didn't mention earlier, that um, Hudson declares that possibly the signal must have some interference or something. It doesn't make any sense that they are getting such a big signal, I guess. And um, so that gives us, you know, feeds back into where Vasquez then has to reaffirm, like, no, we're getting a signal here. So we had our doubts about his signal earlier. We weren't sure if there was interference. Hell, we go back to Alien and we're, we don't trust the tracker in the first place all that much. But Aliens, it's, it's definitely shown itself to be pretty trustworthy. But here, when they back up, when Vasquez and Hicks are welding the door shut, 
and we get Hudson uh, taking his position as he always does as the the tech the com tech guy who's watching the tracker. He makes sure to say that the signal is clean, and I think that's interesting because. From now on, we don't want to doubt it anymore because we need this ticking clock that we're about to get, right? This countdown um, needs to be trustworthy, I think, for the tension. If we doubt the signal, then I don't know if the uh, countdown is as effective. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I think what we're trying to get around with that line is, you know, if you remember the big cat jump scare from the alien, we're trying to get around something along that line where like the the weak version of it is, oh, it was just a glitch. Uh, maybe it's bats. <laughs> maybe it's just a bunch of scary fruit bats. The stronger but more ridiculous version is, oh, the ceiling's full of cats. It's just like 50 different jones cats crawling around in the ceiling it's it's all okay we're fine like i i think they want us to know no no it's it's really aliens we're not this is not going to be a fake out uh, i think you guys both nailed it though on the on the read but also i think it's just one more example of you know cameron looking for one more way to tighten the screw just a little bit it's like you know all these different things are happening that are ratcheting up the tension it's like Oh, guess what? By the way, yes, they're definitely really real. And this is really happening. It's like everything he can. He's pulling in everything to kind of just get at the audience in a great way. And his uh, his commentary in here, I thought, was really interesting because he talks about how the, the he says the trick to this kind of film is to take it utterly seriously and to not give the audience any chance to question what you're doing. Uh, he specifically talks about how he doesn't want any kind of like comedic elements in his movie. He doesn't want to undercut them. And I, I think it's interesting because horror comedy is such a thing and because this movie has some distinct laugh lines, some distinct laugh moments, but they don't undercut the horror of it. Knowing that his philosophy is let's play this as straight faced as possible. And he says, you know, rely on your cast to sell what you're doing to make it convincing. I think in this moment of, in particular, the, the dread that you see on everybody's faces the kind of determination to do their job in an efficient way, but still the fear that they bring across really sells this moment, even though it's really just kind of people, a bunch of people running back and forth and yelling numbers. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to put it. And it's very effective. Yeah. This is James Cameron at his best right here. This is where we see his strong suit, uh, building tension, getting action, uh, uh, setting the action in motion, uh, waiting the, the right amount of time, like we talked about the subterfuge and all the uh, every, everything, just to hold off on that um, action for just a little bit longer. Yeah, this is a great this is a great scene. I'm one of my favorite moments in the movie, and of course, this is going to just accelerate the movie forward. As soon as these guys jump through the ceiling, it's going to be uh, pedal to the metal for the rest of the movie. So, um, but you know, that's about. I think that's all I've got for this minute. How, how are you guys doing? You got any more notes? That's it for me, Brian. I'm good. All right. Well, Brian, uh, get, tell them one last time where they can find you online. Sure. Um, you can find my writing on TheVerge.com. Uh, I read a column called Being There, focusing on the world of immersive entertainment, uh, including cats coming in from ceilings. Uh, and I'm on Twitter <laughs> at BC Bishop. And Tasha? I'm absolutely assigning Brian a, a piece on a, a augmented reality that involves uh, just seeing cats crawling through every surface <laughs> around you. Uh, I am the film and TV editor at The Verge. I am the co-host of the Next Picture Show podcast, which looks at a current film in relationship to a classic film and sees what sees what they have to say about each other. And you can find me on Twitter at Tasha Robinson. 
You can find us at alienminute.com, on Twitter at alienminutepod, and on Instagram at alienminutepodcast. Uh, please think about dropping by our virtual tip jar. It's there on the homepage of the website. Uh, drop a couple bucks in there if you want to help us keep the uh, the lights on over at the old podcast studio. And um, also think about going over to Tee Public and grabbing a T-shirt. we got some cool designs over there. All right, well, uh, that'll do it for Minute 98. We'll see you tomorrow for Minute 99.